Since the invention of fire, man has spun stories of gods and monsters. From a million years in the future, Heavy Metal presents Wonderwork. Hello. Now, before we get into this episode, for all of you back on Earth, I have a question. What is the Warner Archive? Warner Archive is the part of Warner Media that brings you rare and hard to find movies, TV shows, animation, and classic cinema to Blu ray disc and DVD. Man, I haven't heard those phrases in a long time. With over 3,500 different releases currently in print, these discs are for collectors, physical media fans, or anyone looking to explore the depths of the world's largest entertainment media library. Check them out at warnerarchive.com. And you can start collecting stories just like I do up here. Now, getting into this week's story, science doesn't always know what's what. Well, let me correct myself. Humans don't always know how science actually works. When the universe started, well, when the universe is started, magical items in the form of musical instruments paved the road between the dimensions. Wonder workers. Without further ado, this is Axe. Now, in case you skipped out on Mr. Carpenter's Earth Science class to suck face with Belinda McIntyre behind the condemned Dairy Queen on Richmond Avenue, let me give you the cliff notes on our big blue planet. There was a Big Bang, then a bunch of horseshit, then voila! A few millennia later, we have the Wendy's Big Bacon Classic. Big Bang aside, What most of you so-and-sos have no damn clue about is that when Earth Big Banged, another bigger, bangier bang happened in a totally different dimension. Yes, you see, in this alternate dimension, a new different world was born, a darker world called Sheol. Unlike Earth, the explosive energy that banged out this dark world of Sheol was not made of any sort of ordinary matter, or what you laymen refer to as light matter. No, in contrast to our Earth, Sheol came about due to an outburst of dark matter, which is fucking strange. Like it doesn't even interact via any electromagnetic force. So the fact that mass amounts of uncharged dark matter could somehow detonate and create life, well, it spits in the face of science. Now, Since Sheol is made of mostly dark matter, time in Sheol moves slower than a sloth sucking superglue off a snail's itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, tiny little gastropeny. And because of this, all quote-unquote life in Sheol is stuck in the semi-suspended state of arrested development. Now, do not confuse this with immortality. Think of it more like a very excruciating, prolonged, infernal existence. Kinda like living on our current Earth, but somehow worse. I mean, fathom your worst fears. And I don't mean showing up to school and everyone seeing your pee-pee or vajayjay or whatever you're supposed to have these days. No, I'm talking a stranger in your closet with a buck knife. I'm talking a fast-growing cancer in your skull. 
talking about the pain of watching a car crash eviscerate your family in front of your eyes. Take all that, put it in a blender, add a pinch of existential terror, and boom, that's Sheol, an interdimensional hellscape. And what lives there are the things that nightmares fucking wish they could be. Every single earthly fright, ghouls, demons, vampires, slasher flick dudes, you name it, was lifted from Sheol. Our earthly horrors pale in comparison to what lives there. And some of these things, they've made it to Earth. Like I said, this is where man's inspiration for horror derived. It's also where all of our greatest heavy metal songs, Paranoid, Number of the Beast, Hammer Smashed Face, all that stuff was inspired by Sheol and the creatures within. And some of the most powerful creatures from Sheol have accessed Earth through dimensional portals. And one such portal can be accessed through the most horrid, most metal thing ever concocted. The Axe. What's the Axe? Well, it's a truly abominable instrument made from the flesh, skin, bone, and hair of not just various monstrous beings, but also countless innocent humans. At the dawn of Sheol, as creatures were being forged from the void, there were, or rather are, the Ancients. No one knows how the Ancients came to be, but from what I've gathered through meticulous research is that once Sheol's Big Bang commenced, the Ancients were the first beings to rise from its primordial ooze, and they continued to evolve into Sheol's first intelligent beings. And ever since, the Ancients have been these sort of architects, turning Sheol from a lifeless prehistoric planet into something more or less mirroring a fucked version of Earth. Now, as far as my readings have revealed, there were once five Ancients. No one knows their Sheol names, and I never got around to deciphering their drivel, but I've dubbed them the following. First, we've got the Seer. Now, she's the leader, this all-hearing, blind as a bat, wise beyond eons, demon-y, snake-like being. She's got 10-inch serrated knives for fingers that can gouge, pierce, and tear, open anything living or otherwise. Then there's the whale. No, not like the animal, but like, you know, whaling. Her mouth is as wide as her face. It's an ear-to-ear -ear Chelsea grin. Ooh, lordy, is it creepy. And she's got like at least four rows of razor-sharp, piss-yellow teeth and a screech so shrill that it can cause instant aural bleeding. And then there's Harvest Man. You know, because he wants to harvest your organs, man. This son of a bitch has got eight arms and 16 eyes, more than enough to see and crush all your frat bros like a six-pack of Natty Light. Then we got half and half. This fucking thing, I don't know what it is, it constantly changes shape. I do know it can separate its own body at the torso and then turn into two new creatures. It then surrounds its prey, draws and quarters it. Then, last of all, there was the other. This massive, towering slug with arms as wide as Mack trucks. He's like Jabba the Hutt, but actually gross. This ding-dong is all brawn, little to no brains, but with a curious streak a curious streak tainted by greed that led to its demise. 
Now, it's important to know that when the ancients were still figuring out their shit, they could not speak. You know, like babies raising themselves, very disgusting babies. Language took them a good millennia to sort out, so at first, they communicated through a series of tonal expressions, like music. And to do this, they constructed these rudimentary devices resembling percussive instruments made from stones, rocks, orc skin stretched over banshee bone, whatever they could muster. Some ingenious shit, actually. And while rhythm is a great way to express primal desires, eating, sleeping, fighting, fucking, the ancients eventually evolved a need to express their innermost desires with more, I guess you could call it depth. So the seer, she had this notion to build something with the ability to emit melodic expressions. First came a rudimentary piano, made from minotaur horn and demon fang. This would get the gist across, but there were micro-expressions missing. Now, for you non-music types, this just means there were no sharps, no flats, nothing in between. So emotionally speaking, one can only express basic feelings, happiness, sadness, anger, but could never get across the minutia, relief with a tinge of lingering guilt, semi-satisfaction with a touch of wanting, horniness and hungriness, whatever. But a breakthrough came when big old dum-dum himself, the other, grabbed one of those death worms. You know, those really big worms the size of a school bus with circular mouths that house gigantic jagged teeth the size of coconut trees? No? Whatever. So the other, this fat fuck, he grabbed the worm by its ends and started plucking on it like a dusthead pulling this pecker at a bus stop. Keep in mind, the death worm, it's a wily sort, hard to get a hold of. And the other, he's not, uh, mm, a creature of speed. So the fact that he caught this thing was something of a miracle in itself. The other was not intending to create anything, he was just curious. So when he did his flicking and such, the worm emanated this hellish twang. The sound resonated through the ancient's collective core like no other expression ever had, and the seer, enamored, immediately reached for the worm, as everything belonged to her by virtue of being the top dog. But the other, somehow realizing in his stupid pea brain the power he now had, recoiled the worm to his chest like a toddler screaming. The other knew he had discovered a revolutionary form of expression for the group. And coupled with his immense physical strength, he wanted to be the new leader of the ancients. So as you could guess, there was a bit of a scrap. The seer and the other wrestled for the worm, fighting for the mantle to the death. When the seer took a split second break to catch herself, the other grabbed her lifted her in the air and brought her writhing, blind, squealing, pinkish-gray mass closer and closer towards his dripping, snaggletooth orifice one may consider a mouth, if one may be so kind. And then Seer freed an arm, extended her giant claws, and took a swipe at the other's mitt. She broke free from his grip, but instead of jumping to safety, she makes a mid-air beeline for the other stink trap. And then she was gone. 
right into the belly of the beast. Maybe she knew she was toast and just wanted it over with. The other, satisfied, roared victorious. Then, suddenly, his massive gut began to expand. Further and further until... The seer pierced through the other's belly, emerging with his heart in hand. Covered in thick, bloody plasma, the seer took a bite from the heart as the other collapsed behind her. And the rest of the ancients, they eagerly descended on the other's corpse. But the seer let out a roar of disapproval. A primal back the fuck up. You see, the seer had other plans. From there, she directed the rest of the ancients to take the other's bones, hair, skin, and flesh, and construct what could only be called a rudimentary guitar. The humble beginnings of the axe. Now, for you Slayer fans out there, this is where the most evil elements of heavy metal as we know it came from. Once the first iteration of the axe was complete, the seer took the first strum. It was electric. It was magically amplified. It was metal. And this sort of energy seeped from the instrument, an array of laser-like swirls. They did not yet know what the energy meant, as each ancient took turns playing and perfecting communication through the instrument. As the ancients continued to build the world of Sheol around them, they would feast on the lowlier creatures, taking discarded flesh from ghouls, vampiric beasts, wolves, draconic beings, and whatever such fucked up pieces of shit, and use the gore to build upon the axe's form. And as the axe became fuller and ghastlier, the tone of the instrument grew. And as the tone grew, more intense energy seeped from the instrument. And that swirling laser-like light, the axe's mystical power eventually became so great that it began to emit new particles of energy. And as the axe continued to physically grow in size, it took on a life of its own, wanting to feed on new forms of it. It directed its sights on new beings that emitted their own source of powerful energy. And so, this new elemental aspect of the axe, it opened up the first ever portal to Earth. Once on Earth, the ancients began augmenting the axe with fun creatures like dinosaurs and prehistoric marine reptiles, then eventually dumbass birds, snakes, primates. But as Darwin's evolution dictated, of course they would eventually discover humans. And humans would become the most desired for the ancients. Rich with complex nutrients, a natural probiotic of course, but also full of otherworldly knowledge and creativity that fed their souls and the skin and bone made their coveted instrument all the more powerful and expressive, especially using children. The ancients loved children. And as the ancients continued to become better at their craft, they were able to open earthly portals directly into villages and towns. Every visit from the ancients brought true tales of horror, and these tales would get passed down from generation to generation. It wasn't anybody inventing Count Dracula or Slenderman or whatever you kids believe in. The boogeyman is real, and he comes in fours. But to me, the most scarring of all is the sound of the axe. I know it well. I've held the thing in my own hands. It's what brought me face to face with the very beasts that started it all. 
Now, unlike Sheol, the only Big Bang I was born from was the one between my mother and technically a guy that is my father. Never met the man, but as a youngster, mother just referred to him as... A spineless, lecherous slither of a worm. Real rich coming from a 1950s vamp with a bastard child, the proverbial scarlet letter. Mother also told me that if I didn't adhere to the teachings of the Holy Ghost, I'd end up in hell, my schwanz severed at the stem and jammed down my throat. Apparently, I was destined to choke on my own manhood as a form of multi-generational male punishment. So yeah, Mother might have been a subpar nurturer with a cock obsession, and her fear of a very unproven god, a veritable ghost, eventually cemented her as the meek rodent I always knew her to be. But enough about my pest problems. So back in 71, I was about 15, and the only thing I had going for me was some dirt weed and a love for Black Sabbath. Rock and roll was all about the frenetic energy. It was about rebellion. And the more I dove in, the more I fell in love with the guitar. Now you kids these days, you're more into the laptops and keyboards and flim flams and whatnot. But back then, the guitar was everything. I discovered the guitar's intense, expressive nature could be my therapy. All my pent up feelings, my hate, my love, my fear, my anger, my sadness, my joy. The guitar seemed to help me through that without having to utter one single word. As I became an aspiring student of the guitar, I became more interested in the instrument's intersection with darkness. I think it was Clapton doing Johnson's Crossroads. That's when I learned the instrument's evil history, and I liked that a lot. From there came Zeppelin with Jimmy Page's occultism, and then Sabbath. Oh man, nothing fulfilled my want, my need for the macabre like Black Sabbath. That first record, God damn, in fucking deed. And that opening riff. Nothing made me go from worshiping guitar playing to coveting the instrument like that riff. And from there, I knew I wanted to do that. I needed a guitar of my own. But of course, Mother Superior wouldn't let me own something ungodly. So I'd hang with this kid down the street, Tommy Went. We used to listen to records and try to figure out the riffs on his brother's beat-up old acoustic. Tommy sucks shit, but I picked it up fast. I'd spent a lot of time there hogging the guitar to myself. I got pretty good, and the better I got, the more determined I was to save up and try to get an axe of my own. So I worked a summer job, shucking ice cream. I put out more cones than a, a traffic cop at a six-car pileup. Whatever, what I'm trying to say was, I made enough for what I thought could maybe buy something with at least four strings, with room for two more. And so I started scouring yard sale after yard sale after garage sale after estate sale, but came up zilch. It was hopeless. And then after weeks of nothing, I remember sitting in the kitchen, looking at mother's stupid collection of framed postcards, and there it was. The Rose Bowl Flea. So, the next day I put my summer haul, 50 bucks, into my holy jeans pocket. 
I hopped on my rusted steed and pedaled over to the closest thing to the Moss Eisley Cantina, this side of the Outer Rim Territories, the Rose Bowl Flea Market, the biggest, weirdest flea market in SoCal. When I got there, people were selling Persian rugs, old Western nails from the 1700s, shrunken heads, taxidermy Siamese rabbits, vinyl alpaca statues, tribal death masks, used dentures, authentic Louisiana cookbooks. I mean, they had everything. But let me tell you, I looked around for hours and hours, and I found no guitar. That's when I came upon a man, so old, so decrepit. He was a relic peddling relics. And of course, his strange booth had only the following. One huge jar of fermented garlic, not for sale, a wax model of a very small boy without eyes, and a large collection of hand-painted toilet seat covers depicting various pets. But in the midst of it all, there it was, a fucking Silvertone 1448. I took a deep breath and tried to play it cool. How much for the guitar? 100. Uh, I only got 50. And then I waited what seemed like forever for the old man to reply. He stared through my skull and eventually just grunted. And that was that. He looked away, back to his garlic. I began to walk away sullenly, a proverbial Charlie Brown type. But the gods of rock could not abide by this tragedy. I scurried back to the old man like an obedient, eager street dog. I approached the booth and the old man disappeared underneath, then returned holding the ugliest, gnarliest semblance of a guitar that anyone had ever laid their eyes on. It looked like it had been wrapped in century-old testicle skin. Can you play? I rattled off like an idiot. Uh, yeah, I can play Blind Faith, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath. I'll only sell it if you can play. Fifty bucks. It's too much a burden anyhow. It's too much a burden? I only knew emotional burdens, not stuff burdens. I didn't think stuff could be a burden, as I had no stuff to be burdened of. The guitar looked gross. Not anything like Paige used. I'll take it. And that's when I discovered that all the money I'd worked so hard for over the summer had fallen out somewhere on my ride to the flea. The color rushed from my face. I felt like giving up, crawling into a hole for big stupid dumb idiots and dying a slow agonizing death. I guess the old man could read all of that on my face too. He rolled his eyes. Ah, just take it. It's too much a burden. You seem like you can handle yourself and yada, yada, whatever. And just as soon as the old man submitted to giving me a free guitar, he started wrapping the thing in some tissue paper. He then hocked a loogie and then handed the guitar over. Don't be too excited, kid. If you can't play, you throw it in a friggin' dumpster, light the damn thing on fire, and run off as far and fast as you can. Oh, I tried that once. Damn thing doesn't burn. Huh? What? I could care less what liver-spotted Larry had to say. I got a guitar. When I arrived home, I ran as fast as I could to my room. I had to hide the guitar in the closet. Mother was coming. 
What in the Lord's name are you doing? Nothing, Mother. Mother lurched forward, inching closer and closer, towering over me, a beastly drink of water. I wasn't worried about the belt, or would it be the cane? It had been raining earlier, so maybe an umbrella? I just didn't want to lose the guitar, but before I could run all the plays, she was right in my grill. I could smell the combo of old coffee, Werther's Originals, and tuna fish. I recoiled. Dinner will be ready in five minutes. Don't be late. Then she slinked out of the room. I let out the biggest sigh of relief I'd ever had. My life was full of sighs. Alone again, I opened up my closet, taking out my new acquisition. But as I unwrapped it, something felt very off. The tissue paper wrapping the guitar, it was soaking wet. I couldn't really see what was going on on account of my room being so dim. So I flicked on the overhead light, and that's when I noticed the blood. The paper was drenched, deep red. I dropped the guitar, and then I heard her. On instinct, I kicked the guitar under the bed. Wait, no, that is holy, was that? I uh, thought I saw something outside, Mama, and then I banged my foot. Oh, ow. The bad actor I was, I grabbed for my foot and hopped in place. But it was just a tree branch, I think. Mother glanced at the window, then at me. Then she just left. I was in heart attack mode. After a moment, I tenuously looked back at my bed, bent down and grabbed for the guitar under the frame. I winced as I pulled it out. But the paper, it had somehow dried. In fact, it was beige again. I unwrapped the guitar. No blood at all. I looked at the old thing, slightly repulsed, slightly disappointed that it wasn't that silver tone. I wondered if I should throw it in the trash like the old man suggested. Then something came over me. I assumed the whispers were just the ego speaking to the id, or the other way around. But then they started to grow in intensity, and the urge to play became irresistible. It was as if something outside had burrowed into my skull, conjuring me to make the instrument sing. I couldn't help myself, but I knew I also couldn't wake the hag. So I picked up Dickskin, held it in my arms, and strummed it really, really quiet. Okay, so a little something more about the axe. It only plays at 11. I think Christopher Guest stole that too, but I don't want to believe it. Anyway, without warning, this thing fucking ripped, and I was terrified. Not by the sound. Oh, I love that. But that my insane mother was about to come in and beat me within an inch of my life. Here she fucking comes. But simultaneously, in what seemed like a blip, there was that burst of laser-like energy shot right from the axe into the middle of the room. A swirling circle of purple and blue light. It was mesmerizing. The fear of getting murdered seemed to fade as the light swirled around, growing wider and wider until I could see through it. And it wasn't see-through. No, there was something in the circle, like a passageway. As it opened, I saw dark hues of blue and black, 
and then I could make out these strange gothic structures and silhouettes of things moving. I couldn't fully wrap my head around it, and it was both fantastic and shocking. As I attempted to grasp what in the fuck was going, Mother was mere moments away from exploding through the doorway. My eyes shifted to the door, and then they came in. Mother was mere moments from exploding through the doorway. My eyes shifted to the door, and then they came in. No, not that door. The other one, made from the light. The ancients began to pull themselves through the portal. Harvest Man, Half and Half, The Whale, and last but not least, slinking through like a snake in heat, the seer. The blood left my face for the second time that day, but this time it felt as if my essence was rising to the top of my head, attempting to burst through my cranium to escape into the heavens. My body was frozen, but my consciousness, it was very much there, witnessing the horror in front of me, the four ancients in their wholly obscene, stench-ridden form then, the seer slithered over to me and hissed. Thou hast summoned the four. Your life hangs in the balance, child. Lest ye implement a most impressive measure. If so, your supple flesh shall remain intact. I stood there, bewildered, both at the sight of the monsters in front of me and the fact that I couldn't understand a thing she said. Uh, excuse me? Harvest Man, though, as horrible as he is, and he's the fucking worst, did me the only solid he's probably ever done a human. Yeah, no, uh, she means a riff, like, shred an impressive riff on that guitar there, and we won't, you know, pull you through this portal into our world and eat you. That's what she means. Now I couldn't control my breathing. Fear had gripped me entirely. I was done. But for some reason, I began to think about the first time I smoked a spliff. I had totally panicked. I tried to open the door to leave Abby Watson's house, and I couldn't figure out how door handles worked. I thought everyone was laughing at me. But then I talked myself down, and once again, I understood how door handles worked. So I tried the same method. I thought about being eaten alive, and I wasn't too excited about it. So I took some deep breaths and mastered control of my body again. Then I noticed I was still holding the axe. So I raised my right hand and ready to play like my life depended on it when the door to my room flew open. Mother stomped inside, ready to clock me square in the jaw. Christopher Wendell Fitzsimmons! I thought I told you! And before she could punch my stupid face, the whale shrieked. Our ears bled as we almost lost footing. Then Harvest Man, with his spider-like, hairy, revolting appendages, grabbed Mother from across the room and tore her body in half. Well, I mean, not perfect halves. If you haven't been nearby, or in my case, next to a person being literally torn apart by a super being from a netherworld, well, it gets pretty bloody. You could call it a blood bath, but baths normally just stay on your body and happen in a specific area, in a specific part of a very specific room. 
My room was not where baths happened, and it was drenched wall to wall in her blood. After Harvestman tore Mom a new one or two, he took her pieces and chucked them through the portal to shoal like a pair of old gym sneakers. To recap, here I am, 15, covered in blood, some from my ears, but mostly from my mother. I hated her, but I couldn't help feeling a sense of loss. She's all I had. But it was tough to mourn considering the four archaic horrors demanding I shred the best lick of my life for my life or be eaten alive. The alive part is my own assumption. They never said that. I took a deep breath. I closed my eyes. I lifted my hand in the air. I cleared my throat and I started to play the most evil, doom-ridden lick I could think of. I do not want to assume Iomi stole this riff from somewhere within Shoal, but it's possible he did, because the moment I played this thing, the ancients began to howl in pain, one by one. Each began to cower in the glory of my riffage. Well, Tony's riffage. Or maybe Shoals. But through my fucking paws. The Ancients' collective skin began to sizzle and fry. Their cries grew louder. I was truly shredding them. And as I neared the end of the heaviest, sludgiest riff of all time, the Ancients were whisked away, back into the portal from whence they came. Back to Shoal. These days, I wonder if what I had done to the ancients was satisfying. Had they ever felt pain until that moment? Did they like it? Seems like their thing. Up until then, all I had ever felt was pain. But then, poof, no more. I still have the guitar. The axe here in the back of my shop. It's with my personal collection of non-Hellscape conjuring guitars. The old man was right, by the way. It won't burn. I won't let anyone touch it. I don't want to pass down old mistakes. Pain begets pain. I'm done with pain. Hey, it's me again. Just wanted to let you know about a couple more podcasts you should check out whenever you're done. You know going through the archives up here with me. Join veteran entertainment journalist Jeff Boucher as he reaches total nerdvana and welcomes artists, writers, actors, and musicians to his show, putting the pop in pop culture. Welcome to Mindspace, where you get into the minds of the creators you love. This next one will help you explore the depths of your curiosity with aerospace engineer John Connolly, Columbia Space Center's Benjamin Dickow, and CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, Matthew Medney, as they bring scientists, entertainers, and authors on a journey of discovery. This is Putting the Science in Science Fiction, where fiction and science collide. <laughs> 